Well, hey, good morning. So glad that you could join us. Uh, we're starting a brand new series called I Love My Neighborhood. And this is a topic that I am exceptionally passionate about, even though I live on the church property with two other pastors. Uh, just talking about neighboring and, and loving our neighbors is a huge passion of mine. Uh, I'll be honest, though, as we've been pre preparing and planning this series, and, and we've got a great, uh, a lot of great messages planned for you, things that I think are going to be very helpful. Uh, I, I just don't know, I don't know how we can talk about neighbor, neighboring without addressing what's going on in our country right now. Uh, there's been three videos that have uh, surfaced that have kind of served to uh, to unsurface what's been lurking underneath for a long time. Uh, the blatant murder of Ahmaud Aubrey in Georgia as he's jogging. Uh, the blatant brutality used by the Minneapolis police officer leading to the death of George Floyd and the blatant racist comments of, uh, of the lady that was in the park addressed towards the African-American man. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really have a good introduction for this, but, but I know that I, I can't talk about neighboring. Uh, I can't pretend like these things aren't going on, and, and I know that Jesus has a response for, for all of this. Uh, and so I, I just want to start by acknowledging two things. So the first thing is that I, I understand that this is, for many people, this is a very politically charged conversation. Uh, and you take that however you want. What I'm asking every single one of us is to take our political leanings and our ideology. And just for this moment that we as followers of Jesus would bring those into submission to the Lordship of Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. And then we just use this moment not necessarily come to my viewpoint, but that we would all have a deep longing to submit to Jesus and, and to the Holy Spirit in whatever way he wants to speak to us this morning. The second thing that I want to acknowledge is that I'm, I'm coming from uh, a very limited uh, perspective right now. And so I'm going to do my, my very best to talk about an issue that I believe that we as followers of Jesus need to be leading the way in, um, but I am coming from a lim limited perspective. So let me, let me go ahead and start this message off the best way that I know how. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to talk about Jesus. So Father, I just, you know, even though we're, we may be limited in time and space, I pray that right now as, as people are watching and, and in this space where we're at as a country, that you would speak to every single one of us and that your, your people would deeply submit to you, Jesus, and that our, our anchor and our guiding point would be you, Jesus, and your scriptures, and that, that we would be led by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and the love that, you're, that, that you have for every single one of us and that you're asking us to have for everybody else. And help us to listen to you this morning, Holy Spirit. We invite you to speak. We need it. We long for it. We ask that the word that you have would go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 10. We're going to talk about a story that you've probably read before, probably very familiar with. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this. It says, one day an expert in religious law, now let me just pause there and give us a little bit of depth to the, con to the context here. An expert in religious law, this is somebody, uh, a, a religious leader uh, that had given and dedicated his life towards understanding and teaching the nuances of both written and oral tradition and law 
And so he knew the intricacies of everything of which he's about to ask Jesus. And it says that he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So the context of everything that Jesus is about to ask right now in this moment is under the context of this question, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, eternal life in our context has typically a different uh, meaning than the biblical meaning. Eternal life, biblically speaking, is is not just the life to come. We think about going to heaven, but in, in the Jewish mind and in the biblical mind, it has to do with both the life now and the life that's to come. And so he's asking, what do I need to do to experience this kind of life? And in response to this, Jesus said, what does the law of Moses say? How, how do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded, he said, right, do that and you will live. Do that, love God, love your neighbor, and you'll live, you'll experience the eternal life that you're looking for. And then this man asks a very pointed, very specific, a clarifying question. He says this in verse 29, he says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like Jesus, I, I know I, I'm supposed to love people, but, but exactly, like, could you just narrow it down for me? Who exactly am I supposed to love? Like, I, I know I'm supposed to love people, but I need you to tell me who is my neighbor? And this religious leader, by asking this question, is immediately trying to narrow down his responsibility. In other words, Jesus, I agree with what you're saying, but, but isn't there a limit to who I'm supposed to love? You know, what's interesting to me about this, this exchange here between the religious leader and Jesus is that Jesus doesn't answer his question about who he's supposed to love or, or who he's supposed to neighbor. What he does is he shows him how he's supposed to neighbor. It's not, it's not about who. Love is not about who. Like you can pick and choose, like I'll love these people and I'm not going to love these people. It's a how. It's not an idea. Love is an, is an action. And to show us specifically how we're supposed to neighbor Jesus, as he so often does, he, he tells a story. There was a Jewish man that was traveling from Jerusalem down to, to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And it says they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, by chance, a priest came along. Now, this is good news. This is a religious leader who has dedicated his life to serving God and the people. By chance... A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over. Great news. This is another man dedicating his life to serving God and the people. And he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Let me pause here and just acknowledge that these guys had, they had legitimate excuses why they didn't stop. First of all, I mean, the Jericho Road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a a steep descent, winding turns, lots of caves. It was, it was, it was the the haven for robbers and thieves and, uh, and all sorts of, it was a very dangerous road. And so probably they were thinking, you know, I, I had better not pause. Maybe the robbers are still, still close by. You know, I, I don't want to spend any more time than I need to. I need to get out of here as soon as possible. 
Maybe they had another excuse. You know, they're religious leaders, and according to the law, if you touch somebody that's dead, then you'll be defiled, thereby taking you outside of your, uh, the ability to exercise your religious obligations. And so that's another excuse. Maybe another excuse is, is that they're not medical professionals. I mean, what, what could they do after all? Maybe they didn't know what to do, and so they just did nothing. But whatever the excuse was, whether it was from self-preservation or because of religious duty, it kept them from love. They saw, but they chose to be blind to this man's need. They looked at the man, they passed by this hurt man, and, and they may have said, you know, it, it doesn't impact me, I don't know what to do about this, this is not my responsibility, but ultimately their action on behalf of this man made them the examples of the story of how to be religious and not love anybody. I think that the church in the United States is much like the priest and the Levite. We have our excuses and we have our reasons. We go to church, we know all of the right words to say, but so oftentimes we do absolutely nothing. We watch it on the news, we read about it online. And we can say, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with me, or I don't know what to do. And, but ultimately, we just end up passing by on the other side, doing nothing whatsoever. And I think Jesus' point in saying that these two men, these religious leaders, these quote-unquote godly men, this point in saying that they, they walked by on the other side brings to clarity how religion has a tendency to be verbal, but in crisis to do absolutely nothing. And the stark contrast of the story is what happens next in verse 33. It says, then a despised Samaritan. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. But then a despised Samaritan, a Samaritan who these religious leaders, if they even walked into his region, would have to take a shower to get the dust off because of their disgust of this type of person. Then a Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. The word to, in the Greek language for when it says he felt compassion, it's the Greek word splachnizomai. And it means to be moved in one's bowels. It means to feel it deep inside of your gut. It, it means to feel it deep in the center of your emotions, to, to, to see something and know intuitively this is not right. It says he felt compassion, but you've got to understand that love never stops with a feeling. You know, it's, it's not enough for us today to be disgusted. It's not enough for us to feel anger. It's not enough to feel pity for the pain of somebody else. This Samaritan, he felt compassion, and then what? Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, each worth a day's worth of wages, incredible amount of expenses, and telling him, take care of him. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. You know, the shocking nature of this story is that, that Jesus used the person that was most hated by these religious leaders to illustrate how we are supposed to truly love. 
It's the one, the least religious, it's the sinner, it's the despised, whatever kind of label you want to put on the Samaritan, it's him that's the example for how we're supposed to love. You know, the day before Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, he gave one of his most famous speeches to a group of sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and he was actually talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, and he said this, he said, he said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. He said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, one is passive and inactive and even though religious, in the end it does nothing because they act from an impulse that comes from their own perspective. But the Good Samaritan acts and he sees the pain of this man and the hurt of this man and he does something and it's this man that loves. That's the picture of love that Jesus paints. That's the picture that Jesus paints for how it is for this religious leader asking Jesus what it means to inherit eternal life and what it, who he's supposed to neighbor and it is for us. This is the picture for us of how we're supposed to, of how we're supposed to neighbor. See, it's not about what's easy. It's not about what's convenient. In fact, it's not even about us at all. It's about the other person. And, and that's true. This idea of love, that's what's true in a marriage relationship. It's true in a good friendship. It's true in the church. And it's, it's certainly true right now for our black brothers and sisters around the country who are experiencing deep and systemic levels of injustice. I'll tell you this, as I'm reading through this text, I'm, I'm thinking this, this is the text that should be our guide in this season of turmoil. Because we've got to define who our, redefine who our neighbor is. It's not just your literal neighbor. It's not just the person that lives in your same zip code or, or has the same socioeconomic background or the person that looks like you or sounds like you or votes like you. It's the one that's hurting. It's the one that's suffering. It's the one that's in need. That's your neighbor. So I told you this at the beginning, but you know I, I've got a very limited perspective about this. I, I, I don't understand what it means to be abused like this. I don't know what it's like to be mistreated because of the color of my skin. I don't know what it's like to be unfairly rejected because of my heritage. But I'll tell you what, I was listening to uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, who's a godly man, just an incredible minister of God's word. And he was talking about this week how his son was in a car accident. And his son called him on the phone and, and the police were there and the ambulance was there. And, and Bishop Jakes said this, he says, he said, I was more concerned for my son because of the police than I was because of the car accident. Now, you can take that in all sorts of different ways. But when that's the concern of this godly man, you know that something's wrong. I was listening to another African-American pastor talk about this, and he said just this week he was taking his, his little girls, grade school age, and they were just going to go out to the other side of town to get, get some dessert. And his little girls, even before they were able to pull out of the driveway, they said, Daddy, what do we do if a police officer pulls us over? And I think that we need to dismiss the naivete that this is something new, because the reality is that this has never stopped happening in this country. I think because we've got such a beautifully diverse church, I mean, I love our church, all of the colors and nationalities and, 
and backgrounds. I love it. And because of the reality of that, the, the truth is, is that probably some of you have experienced this kind of injustice in your own life. But I think for many of us, you're coming from a perspective similar to mine that, that we've, we've been blind. We've had a blindness to the reality of our neighbor's suffering just because it's not been our own reality. See, it's hard for me to understand the fear of being pulled over by a police officer because I've never been mistreated. Uh, it's hard for me to understand not getting a job because of the sound of my name. It's hard for me to understand oppression because I've not been oppressed like so many people still are today. It's hard for me to understand not getting a promotion or believed about a sexual assault or crime because of my gender because I'm a man. But I think the time for us as followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus, the time has come for us to wake up and, and realize that if we're to love our neighbors like Jesus is calling us to, then we've got to be, become aware of the reality in which we currently live. That racism and oppression and systemic injustice are a deep part of the cornerstone of our history and it's also a deep part of our current reality right now. So what do we do about this? Well, I think the first step towards doing something that's right is recognizing that something is deeply wrong. That we've got to be aware of this. And then we simply do what the, great, the Good Samaritan did. We have compassion and then we take action. We have compassion and we take action. We allow ourselves to feel things on behalf. We allow ourselves to feel it deep in our gut and then we do something about it. See, many of us right now, we, we are feeling compassion. We feel the pain. We're, we're shocked. We're angry. Tears have been shed. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an emotional response here. But I'll tell you this, is that you can't combat a systemic problem with an emotional response because a systemic problem needs, needs a strategic solution. It needs love. It needs action. It needs us to do something, not just to feel something, but to do something. I think, I think understanding the stark framework in which this story was told, understanding the framework of this story is all told under, underneath the question of what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And the response to this is to love God and to love your neighbor. That in so many ways, that's the heart of the gospel, that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let me end with this story. In 1996, the KKK had a rally, and the police knew that there would be all sorts of tension, and so they put a barrier in the road between the KKK members and uh, the people that were kind of opposing that and were protesting it. And At some point during the rally, one of the white supremacist guys had kind of filtered himself over into the protester's side, and you know, it wasn't, wasn't hard to miss. He was kind of a, a big guy and he's got a Confederate flag t-shirt and, and Nazi tattoos and things like that. Well, at some point, somebody in the crowd sees this guy and he yells out, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. And, and in a rush, everybody just goes to this guy and just starts beating him senseless. <laughs> well, there was an 18-year-old girl named Keisha Thomas and she saw this and, and immediately she ran over to this man. She threw her body on top of him to protect him from the blows of all of her, uh, all of her comrades and people that were protesting with her. In fact, there's a famous picture that we'll show right now. But here's the question. What, what in the world would, would cause a young girl to put herself at physical risk 
to protect a man who would most likely want to harm her if he had the opportunity. Why would she do this? Well, she was interviewed later and she said this. She said, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that it happened to me, I wish that somebody would have stood up for me. That's how you neighbor. There are people right now that need you to stand up for them and to speak out for them. The reality that you may have a position or you may have a voice that other people don't have and and people need you to speak up for them. Keisha Thomas said this. She said, the biggest thing that you can do is just be kind to another human being. It can come down to eye contact or a smile. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. What is it? It's just showing love. It's showing human decency and honor and respect and, and consideration and listening to the story of other people before you come to judgment. It's treating another human being like they're actually a human being. It's showing the love of Jesus. I would love for you to write this down or at least would you, would you just consider this statement? That racism, racism is not just the presence of hatred. Racism is also the absence of love. Racism is not just wishing ill for somebody or wanting to harm somebody else. It's also the absence of love. It's the, it's the absence of being willing to do something about the plight of another human being. Racism is not just the presence of hatred. It's also the absence of love. So I'll tell you this, that I know that as a follower of Jesus, that you've got a role to play. That I've got a role to play. I don't know what my role is to play right now outside of, you know, just talking about this right now. But I know that each one of us has a role to play. Because every single one of us are called to love our neighbors just like Jesus exemplified for us. How do we do that? We have compassion and then we take action. We have compassion and then we take action. Would you, write, just right where you're at, would, would you just pause and, and would you pray with me? is I want to ask right now that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and birth something so significant in our heart. It seems like for many people, they have been fighting the cause of injustice for a long time and the tide has not turned. But we know that according to Scripture, that, that nothing that we do is ever in vain when we do it in the name of Jesus.